0: Thanks for tuning in to The Met Church Podcast. Here at The Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. Well, good morning. So glad you are here on this fine August day. I love the month of August, and I would imagine that if I were to ask you to rank your favorite months in the order of least to greatest, I would imagine that August probably is not at the top of your list. It's near the top for me, and it's not because I enjoy the uh, torturous weather that'll melt the flush off your bone. Uh, We've been uh, slow rusting all summer long, but I love August in spite of that. And in no particular order of importance, I wanna share with you why I love the month of August. Firstly, it signifies the beginning of school, How many of you parents are excited to send your little cherubs back into the classroom? Come on, somebody. Man, we can re-implement some routine, some regularity, makes our lives more simple. However, I understand if you're an educator, that probably comes with a little bit of mixed emotions. There's enthusiasm and there's also the Oh boy, here we go again. You earn every single day off throughout the year. Uh, You work hard and you do a great job. And I want you to know that you are in the kingdom business. Remember what they said about Jesus amongst all the titles they gave to him? They also called him a good, come on, teacher. Thank one of you over there in the corner. Called him a teacher. Called him a teacher. Educators. You are in the kingdom building business. You are shaping futures. You are shaping our culture. You're helping kids achieve their dreams, maximize their potential. Even though you can't say Jesus, you can show Jesus. Come on, somebody. So we thank you, we're glad that you're here. I love August because school starts back up, routines and rhythms can be reincorporated into our lives. I also love August because it is the month that contains the birthday of my oldest daughter, Adeline. This, this year was her golden birthday. She turned 12 on August Twelfth, And we had a great time celebrating her this past weekend. August is also the month of the birth date of my wife. Now, because I enjoy my marriage and want to continue to do so for the near term and long term, I will not tell you how young she's going to be this month, but I love August for that reason as well. Not to mention Bath and Body Works. If you know, you know. August, they unveil the fall scented candles. So you know your boys have been burning that three wick. For the past couple of days in the Lamillier household, the scent of pumpkin and caramel has been swirling those nostrils and we love it. But maybe one of my favorite reasons for loving August is that it signifies the very end of the dark age, of February until now, come on. You know, because it means that football season is back, baby. Football's back, I love it. Now I love all forms of football. But my favorite is college football. It's the pageantry, the history, the fanaticism. I mean, I'm all in. I'm a college football junkie. And I am unashamed to acknowledge in front of everybody, with God as my witness, that I am a Texas Longhorn fan. Hook 'em! come on, we are back. Let's go. <laughs> I know. Uh, and if you, if you follow college football at all, you know how preposterous it is to say we're back, right? We've been saying that for a couple of decades now, but a man can hope. And because I want to be friends, I don't want to turn you off for the word of God that he wants to share with you through me today, that I probably should make sure uh, that we can stay friends. So I, I it, it begrudgingly will say Boomer and, and, and Gig'em, all right? Because that, that pretty much covers the most passionate fans, at least in DFW. Now I know if you're from Arkansas, you go to Arkansas or UNT, TCU, all that stuff. I'm, I'm just saying that you don't have a chance. All right, now I'm I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Uh, So I love college football and recently it started back up and we have the uh, scrimmages are happening. They happened just yesterday on Saturday. Uh, You have fall camp that was initiated and the preseason coaches poll, the rankings came out last week, tomorrow, big day, the AP, the Associated Press preseason poll, the rankings will be released and, and that's a huge deal. And here's why, at least for the top 25 teams, it gives them a clear picture as to where they stack up amongst the competition, as well as who they have to beat in order to achieve that coveted number one ranking at the end of the season so they can be deemed national champions. Here's an interesting thought. College football has a ranking system and so does the kingdom of God. So the question I want us to contemplate this morning is what's your ranking? That's a sobering thought, isn't it? Now I wanna make sure you understand I am by no means espousing a theology that would suggest that we have a works-based faith. Uh, we can't earn salvation we don't deserve salvation there's nothing i can do that will please god and that will give that will give me a, an inheritance of of eternity it's by the grace of god the free gift of salvation through jesus christ that's it we're all sinners saved by grace through faith. However, for believers, there is a ranking system based on our works on the earth, and that determines the rewards we receive in heaven, the responsibility we get to enjoy and cherish, and all kinds of other really neat things. But that's a sermon for a different day. There is a, a college ranking system. There is a kingdom ranking system. So my question to me and to you is, where do you rank in God's kingdom? If, if the Lord Jesus was to release the rankings from least to greatest of his followers, where would I fall in that ranking system? How do I stack up? I think it's a question that the disciples probably had on their minds. It was circulating their minds quite frequently. And the reason I would suggest that to you is because they were constantly competing with each other, jockeying for position. Who gets to be closest to Jesus? And who's his closest friend? And Remember John? He wrote the gospel of John and also the book of Revelation, first and second, third John. And remember what he said in the gospel of John of himself? He called himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's like, Jesus likes y'all, but he loves me, you know? And they're trying to position themselves to be Jesus's favorite disciple. And, And I think this competitive nature between the disciples, I believe it's, it's vividly and, and, and maybe most uh, accurately p- depicted and portrayed when you look at two siblings and their rivalry, that's John and James. And they're constantly arguing and fighting over who's gonna be closest to Jesus and who's Jesus' favorite and which one of us is gonna rank the highest in his kingdom. And well, we can see that play out in Mark chapter 10 beginning in verse 35, and here's what we see. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, that is Jesus, and they said, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. We want you, Jesus, to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked And they replied, let one of us sit on your right and the other on your left in glory. Let me offer some context to this conversation. This is toward the end of Jesus's three-year ministry and and he's headed up to Jerusalem. Now it's interesting when you're reading scripture, anytime that they would head up to Jerusalem, they're always heading up, even if they're actually heading down. You know, in, in scripture, they would say up or down based on topography, not Northeast Southwest like we do. And and Jerusalem did sit a little higher, but even when they were higher, they would say, we're going up to Jerusalem. Why is that? Because Jerusalem was a holy city. And they knew that when we go to Jerusalem, we are going to be with the the God most high. We are gonna offer our praise and worship. How many of you know that we can go up to church? I'm not going down to church. I'm not going over to church, I'm going up to church. Because when I come to that church, I'm ready to worship, I'm ready to praise God, I'm ready to serve the Lord. They went up to Jerusalem to meet with the Lord. And so they think that because Jesus is leading them into Jerusalem, that the time has now come for him to establish his kingdom. And, And so Jesus wants to clear things up. Because of the disciples, it was always murky. It didn't matter how clear that Jesus would spell out his plans, they would constantly misunderstand or misread because, you know, we have selective hearing, don't we? We hear what we want to hear. We read scripture and then the Lord spells out what it is for us to live a godly life and how we can experience a blessed life. And, and it's just whoop, in one ear and out the other. And so Jesus patiently, gently reminds us. And so he's doing that in this passage. He, he pulls them over to the side and he huddles them up and he says, We're going to Jerusalem. We're going up to Jerusalem. For the time has come for the son of man, that's me, Jesus, the son of man to be betrayed, handed over to the Gentiles, spat on, mocked, flogged, beaten, crucified, and put to death. And on the third day, he will rise again. So he he lays out this plan, not for the first time. He has said this a number of times. He explains why he has come, that he, God, in human form, he came down, from heaven to earth, even though he was infinite, he became an infant. He set aside his glory. He gave up his rights, took the form of a servant, lived a life of sinless perfection, offered himself up as a substitutionary sacrifice to make the payment for our sins, was crucified, dead, buried, raised to life. He tells them that. And then right after saying the most amazing mission that he came to fulfill, James and John, whoo, up. They go, Well, we want you to do us a favor. Are you kidding me? You, also, you want me to do a, a favor? As if dying in your place isn't favor enough? It's selective hearing. See, see, they had heard Jesus talk about the kingdom a lot the kingdom was here, the kingdom has come, and it's my kingdom. And, and so they very much latched onto the kingdom talk, but really didn't want to hang on to the crucifixion talk because that undermines their, their own prerogative, their plan of being able to rule and reign with Jesus. So they latched onto kingdom, but didn't want to talk about uh, crucifixion. And, and so when they thought that Jesus was taking them into Jerusalem, that that was the moment that he was going to overtake Rome, establish his kingdom, and then James and John, now if they can posture themselves, position themselves just right, then they can secure a high-ranking position in Jesus's administration. I mean, they thought, now's our chance, James, now's our chance I know John it's gonna be happy hour in the ivory tower here real soon buddy they were ready to roll they're having a good old time about it and I I can't blame them I mean they had been under the oppressive rule of Rome and under the harsh yoke of the Pharisees and and they wanted to be liberated and and they knew they believed Jesus was king and lord at least in that moment and then they changed their mind and and they changed their mind again after they see him raised from the grave so I, I don't I don't want to be too hard on them. and also because we do the same thing don't we We have selective hearing uh, and we have a tendency to be a little bit selfish and self-centered even, uh, that we ask of Jesus, Lord, we want you to do whatever we want. Don't we do that? Uh, That if we're not careful, we can make Jesus a cosmic genie. My wish is your command. He's not a cosmic genie. He's Christ Jesus. And I don't want to make you feel guilty or make it seem like you're doing something wrong or I'm doing something wrong by asking Jesus for blessings. Uh, God God loves us and He's He's our Father in heaven and He loves to bless His kids. I mean, you know, I, I'm a dad of two little girls and I love to bless my kids. Boy, blesses me so much. And and, and I'm just nothing compared to the goodness of God. And if, if me being evil know how to give good gifts to my children, how much more does our perfect heavenly father know how to give good gifts to us? So he wants us to ask him to bless our families, bless our kids, bless our businesses. He wants us to ask him to do for us things that will benefit us 100%. However, if our prayers tend to lean in that direction only, then we become the center of the universe. And the dynamic, Shifts where it goes from king and servant to king and servant. And so here's what I think would be healthy: ask God to bless us. Ask God for what we need. Paul says, then make your request known to God, and the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus says, if you ask, you will receive. You have not because you ask not. So guess what? Ask away. But after or before we maybe sandwich it when we ask God for things that he can do for us then we maybe need to ask God, what can I do for you? And I don't know if you're like me, but sometimes when I pray, I feel like I'm talking to myself. Come on, anybody else? Sometimes I'm praying and I'm in a good prayer time and it's flowing and then all of a sudden I start making the grocery list in my mind. I don't know if this ever happened to you. And one thing I know to do to be able to re-engage my mind and also re-engage the Lord is to change my question and to ask him, Lord, here I am, your servant is listening. What may I do for you? And when I ask that question 100% of the time, for me, he answers. And I just choose to believe that whenever he drops a name and he says, text that person, that was the Holy Spirit. And I, and I act and I be obedient. Or he'll say, forgive this person confess this sin. I've already forgiven you because of my death on the cross, but you need to be able to forgive yourself. And you also need to be able to have a that's clear so you can continue with confidence that I'm with you. He will always answer those questions. Lord, do whatever I, you, I want you to do for me and pivot to Lord, what, what may I do for you? Here's James and John. Lord, your kingdom's coming. We're ready to rule with you. We want you to do whatever we ask. That's what they asked Jesus. And And here's what Jesus says in response to them. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm about to suffer and die. Can you do that? Are you willing to do that for me? Will you give your all for me as I've given my all for you? And listen to how they respond. Oh yeah, oh yeah, we can, we can do it. And we're selective hearing. Uh, we can do it. Well, whatever you say, we're, we're gonna do it. Uh, I love the confidence, but it's actually more self-assurance. And that's the difference between self-assurance and God-assurance. Self-assurance says, I can, period. I can do all things. I, me, self, God-assurance says, I can through your strength, I can do all things through Christ. And, and, and that's the only way I can do it. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized the baptism I am baptized with. James was actually the first martyr, the first one to lose his life for Christ's sake. And John, uh, the last of the disciples, he, he, he was thrown into a boiling vat and it didn't kill him. And so they, they cast him away onto an island called Patmos. But to sit at my right hand or the left is not for me to grant, Jesus says, these places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. And then when the 10 heard about this, the other 10 disciples, they became indignant with James and John. It's almost like, you know, if you, if, you, if you don't really think about the context here, you might think that the other 10 disciples are on Jesus's side and they're going, hey, how dare you be so selfish? We're here to be selfless and serve Jesus. Oh, no, 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 no. No, they were self-centered too. They were very much going, oh man, James and John, they already asked to sit on Jesus's right and his left. And now we've blown our chance because they beat us first to the punch. So Jesus, so patient, so kind, pulls them all together, He huddles them up. He tries to set the record straight. Here's what he says. You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so, not so with you. Instead, here it is. Whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Ranking in God's kingdom is simple math. The greatest among us will actually be least. If I want to be great, I first have to give up my idea of greatness and embrace God's idea of greatness. And that means I become the least, that I seek out to serve God by serving others. In God's kingdom, there's a direct correlation between significance and service. Isn't that so antithetical to what our culture would say? And culture would say, you wanna be significant, then you better seek after Celebrity and status, that's how you become significant. A poll was released not too long ago where a huge sample size of young people were interviewed. And one of the questions they asked was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And 54% of young people said they want to be a celebrity. No, they don't. No, they don't. They want to be significant. And they think that significance comes through status and celebrity. Just misguided. Jesus says, significance isn't about what seat you have, it's about how much you serve. The highest level of significance is reserved for those who adhere to the highest level of service. If leading is, is excuse me, if serving is beneath me, then leading is above me. And, and that makes sense when you think about Jesus, God incarnate. And you look at how he lived his life, that he gave up everything and put us first. Are you serious? The creator of the, of, of the universe gave up infinity and became an infant. He didn't come as a king, he came as a carpenter. He lives his entire life serving people, putting the needs of others ahead of himself. That God, he served us. He's the first and the last. And yet he put himself last by putting us first. And Jesus is the greatest. He's the great I am. He's the one who was and is and is to come. And if Jesus saw it fitting to serve us, then who am I to assume the role of a master and expect people to serve me? If Jesus would serve, then it's only so fitting that I would follow in the steps of my master and be a servant of servants. I'm a servant of the most high God. And it's my pleasure, it's my duty, it's my assignment to serve everyone, everybody, all the time, anywhere. And so as servants, as Christ followers, my encouragement for us today is for us to employ and embrace three action cues, three action items that every faithful servant consistently does. If you're taking notes, here's the first thing we're gonna do with servants. What are we gonna do? We're gonna look at Jesus, see what he did. The first thing is we're gonna take inventory. We're to take inventory. Take inventory. Here's what it looks like. That I'm gonna routinely ask myself, what experience? What skill, what resources do I have at my disposal right now that I can use to add value and dignity to people around me? Take inventory. I love first Peter 4, verse 10. Here's what it says. Each one of you should use whatever gift. I like that. It's all encompassing. Whatever gift, not, not this gift. Most of the time, but this gift, no way. That, that, is, that is off limits. It's kind of like whenever we went through my daughter's uh, room the other day and we were saying, hey, we kind of need to get rid of some stuff. And it was like, no! We're like, will you get rid of this? No, that's mine. We get rid of this? No, that's mine. How about, how about this? Okay, you can get rid of that. It's like trash. I mean, what is this? You know, no, everything, whatever we have, whatever gift, we're gonna use it. What are we gonna do? Any gift you've received to what? serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. Why don't you turn to somebody? Go ahead and turn to them. Look them right in the eyes. Oh yeah, that's good. Let's make it awkward just for a second. That's fun. Now when you look at them, I want you to say, you are gifted. Okay. Ooh, that feels good, doesn't it? Feeling all nice. You are so gifted. You, you, you have a multitude of gifts, a myriad of gifts, both spiritual and practical. I love James 117. It says that every good gift comes from the Father in heaven. Anything I have that's good, it's because God gave it to me. And some of us think, well, no, I earned that. I worked hard for that. Well, yeah, well, who, who gave you hands? Well, that, that, was, that genius idea was mine. Oh yeah, well, who's, who's the author of intellect? Every good thing I have, it comes from God. And everything that God's given to me is so that I can steward it well and use it to bless other people. Whatever gift I have. So take inventory, what, what do you have? Uh, do you have a large home? Open it up. Invite people in. Do you have a unique skill or trade that took you years to refine and become an expert at it? Okay, offer that to somebody else without expecting anything in return. Uh, maybe it's a soft skill, you're compassionate, you're, you're generous, you're loving, you're kind. Serve it up. Maybe you have a lot of time. Use your time well, serve other people. Uh, maybe it's you're a really good organizer administrate away. You just, you get all those little details put together. It'll bless somebody. I promise you that. Use whatever you have, take inventory and offer it in service to other people. Your gifts matter. I, I, I don't like how we tend to believe the lie of the enemy, that there are superior gifts or skills or experiences. And only a few can be used by God. Uh, only people who can communicate really well. Only people who, who have a talent that's stage ready. Only people who are, are smart, or savvy or whatever. Every gift is needed in, in the mix, in the ministry mix. Every single gift matters. Every single purpose person matters and every single person has a purpose. Use whatever you have. Don't look to your right or to your left and compare because when you compare what you have to what somebody else has, what you do is you, you discount and you discredit the beautiful gift that God has given to you to be able to use for his glory and for other people's good. I like how Paul talks about how how the church is a body. It's made up of different parts and each part is distinct and unique in its purpose and use to make the full body functional in every way. Uh, And it's how ridiculous it is. I'll kind of use my own illustration to, to borrow from Paul. Wouldn't it be so silly if a nose said, I don't want to be a nose anymore. I'm tired of being nosy. I'm tired of being big and pronounced and everybody sees it. I want to be undercover, I want to be under the surface. I don't want to be a nose anymore, I want to be a foot. Because I want to go somewhere. I want to take people places. I want to stand tall. I want to run. I want to skip. I want to move about. Boy, that'd be great. I want to be a foot. I don't want to be a nose. I'm tired of smelling everything. It stinks. Everybody stinks. Tired of smelling. I'm going to be a foot. And how strange would it be if the foot was like, well, I'm glad you said that, because I'm thinking about trading... I don't want to be a foot. I'm tired of people standing on me. I'm tired of being treaded on. I'm tired of of having to go everywhere for everybody else. When when am I going to be prioritized? Plus, I'm tired of being moist. (laughs) And if I'm not moist, I'm really dry and cracking. I don't like it. I don't want to be a foot. I I want to be a nose. I want to be able to smell and live it up a little bit. Let's trade. It's a terrible idea. Terrible. Terrible idea. You know why? Because if the nose was the foot and the foot was the nose, you'd have a runny nose and smelly feet. <laughs> Nobody wants that. Take inventory. Own my gifts and then loan my gifts. Own my gifts and then loan my gifts for the good of others. And please don't fall in that trap where you, you compare, thinking that what somebody else has is what you really need when all you need is all you have. And I think about the Old, Old Testament, New Testament people and I see how they just use what they have. I think about uh, Ab- uh, Joseph, he used a dream. Moses, a staff. Joshua, leadership and, and, and warrior skills. Esther, beauty and courage. Solomon, he used wisdom. That little boy, a couple of fish and a, and a few loaves of bread. I think about Mary. She used perfume. Joseph Armithea. he lended a tomb. I think about Paul, pen and paper, John, revelation, uh, Jesus Christ, everything all the time for all people. Take inventory, what do you have? Own those gifts, loan those gifts, be a blessing to somebody. We need every gift in the mix. There's too much at stake. Take inventory and use what you have to bless other people. Number two, take interest. Take interest in others. Philippians 2, verse three through four says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Now I wanna make sure that when you hear that, you don't hear, you just, you just need to let yourself just decline and don't take care of yourself for the glory of God. No, take care of yourself. There are three things about me that are my responsibility. My body, my mind, my soul. God's given me the assignment. You steward those well. you take care of those. No one else can do that for you. You've got to take interest in that and take care of it. If that wasn't so, then I, I would tell Jessica today. I would say, Je- that's my wife. Jessica, tomorrow, set your alarm early, wake up and do a hundred sit-ups for my abs. That's what I would do if someone else could do it. I would tell Bill, Pastor Bill, i say, Pastor Bill, please build a relationship with God for me. It makes it a lot easier if you would just do that for me. No, no, no that's my job to protect and take care of those parts of, of God's interest in me. However, if I stay there, then I'm blinded to the needs that you have. And I've got to step outside of myself and look at the interests of others, maybe even primarily. If you've read the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, then Ask yourself, do you ever remember Jesus jogging through Galilee? Come on, guys. Remember him skipping through Samaria? I'm here. You remember that? You remember him him galloping through Galilee, skipping through Samaria, jogging through Judea? I don't. He walked. Now, if you're a smarty pants, you're sitting there going, well, of course he walked. That was a primary means of transportation for everybody back then. Well, I got a rebuttal. He's God. He can travel however he wants to travel. Don't you remember that, that he would slip from their midst? And you're like, where, where did he go? Remember he'd pass through walls in his glorified body? Remember he rode a donkey into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? He could have taken any transportation that he wanted to. Why did Jesus walk? I'm gonna suggest to you something. I think it's because he wanted to live his life at a pace where he could see and serve people. See, when he walked, he was able to see the woman at the well and go offer her a drink that will quench her thirst eternally. When he walked, he was able to see that wee little man in the tree and invite himself over for dinner to offer him forgiveness of sins. See, when he walked, he was able to see blind Bartimaeus, this beggar, to be able to offer him the healing that he so desperately desired. When he walked, he was even able to notice when a hemorrhaging woman just touched the bottom of his cloak, who touched me, and offer her the healing that she so desperately needed. See, I believe Jesus walked at a pace in life that allowed him to see people, take interest in them, and serve them. This is called discipleship. I'm about to drop something that's kind of heavy, okay? This is for me too. I try to live every sermon, first before I give it. And it's like, ooh, that kind of hurts. I think most people don't serve not because they're selfish. Now, most Christians, no, excuse me, most non-Christians don't serve because they don't, they don't know. They're just selfish, self-centered. That's the way the life is. It's great. And so you realize there's a better way. I think most Christians don't serve not because they're selfish, but because they're stretched. Their schedules are too busy. I, I, I find people all the time. They're like, gosh, I just, I can't serve because I'm too busy. I don't have enough time. I believe you're right. I believe you. I believe it. It's easy to stretch our schedule so much that we just look at our calendar and go, how did I overcommit myself to good things? Good things, good things. So for me, I have to step back and go, okay, I need to reprioritize. I, I need to eliminate some good things. So I create margin in my calendar so I can live my life at a pace where I can see people again and serve people again. Because if I'm living life in a hurry, I'm only thinking about, next appointment I have to be to and the next engagement I'm supposed to be at where my kids have to be and and I'm living at a pace of me instead of a pace of thee. But if I'm gonna be like Jesus and he's called me to walk in his steps, then I've got to not only take inventory on my gifts and loan my gifts, but I have to live at a pace that allows me to see and serve people, take interest in others. Number three, and lastly, we're gonna take inventory, we're gonna take interest and then we're gonna take initiative. We're gonna take initiative. Um, Have you ever met anybody who just has a knack for pointing out problems and not lifting a finger to solve them. You not not anybody like that? Maybe that person's sitting next to you and just just stay real tight. Don't, don't look to your left, just stay calm. It's amazing. Some people operate as if that's a spiritual gift. It's a spiritual glitch. It's terrible. They're walking around giving suggestions, but no solutions. You know, it's like, hey, I just want you to know that trash is full. And I know it because I threw some trash and it landed on a heaping pile and fell over. And I didn't do anything about it, I just wanted you to know, so you could take it out. You know, it's amazing. Uh, this even happens in church, it's kind of funny. You know, from time to time, a parent will be like, wow, there's a lot, of, a lot of kids in there, not a lot of adults. And I'm thinking, <laughs> huh? is it possible that any problem we see is actually God illuminating a problem for us to solve? I I always want to make sure that I don't point out a problem unless I'm ready to solve it or at least have a solution that I can bring into the mix because I want to take initiative. I want to be a servant. I don't just want to be a suggester. I want to be a solver. And that's what Jesus was. It says that God demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He he initiated the love sequence. He didn't wait until we said, please, Jesus, come on down. Please save us. He goes, I'm going to do it right now because I initiate. I'm going to demonstrate love even though you don't deserve Even though you had asked for it, get ready, world. Here I come. We want to show initiative. Hey, um, if you are single, but you're ready to mingle, come on, somebody. If you're single, you're ready to mingle. And when you find that person that you take interest in and you're thinking, well, there's potential here, here's my advice to you. This is free advice. This is maybe the best wisdom I could give to you without knowing your whole situation. I invite you to invite that person to serve with you in church. Here's why Uh, we can fake spirituality. We can drop a few Jesuses here and there. We can post a few scripture verses and we can talk Christianese. And I'm not saying if you do that, that you're, you're being fake. I'm just saying that that's easy to do. Uh, but you can't fake serving. You, you can't fake serving. You either do or you don't. You are the in or you're out. There's no middle ground. It's kind of like being pregnant. <laughs> According to the science that I've learned when I was in school, you're either pregnant or you're not. Now I realize in society today that Maybe that's not true anymore, I think it is. I've never met a woman who has said, I'm feeling kind of pregnant today. This doesn't happen. You either are or you are You either serve or you don't serve. You can't fake serving. So Listen to me, you invite someone you're interested in to serve with you, you get to find out real quick. Is their faith real? Are they real about it? Do they really love the Lord? You can see their character. Do they honor their commitments? Are they faithful? Do they show up on time, ready to roll? You get to see how they treat other people. You get to ascertain how are they going to respond to authority. And let me just tell you right now, if, if I have somebody, uh, which I'm married, so I'm not going to date anybody, but if I was single and I was going to date someone and I invited them to serve and they're like, no, I don't want to do that. Here's what I just learned. I learned if you won't serve in God's house, then you won't serve in my house. Woo-wee! Okay, that's that's too much, that's too much. I realize it. <clears throat> Married couples, uh, I, I I don't want to give the impression there's some sort of like antidote that solves all marital problems. Uh, if you have if your marriage is rocky right now, you probably need to get in counseling. That's that's wise, and there's probably a lot of things you can do. But here's one thing I would suggest that 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 a number of ingredients are necessary to put into the healthy marriage mixing bowl. But I would say the active ingredient is to uh, offer service motivated by love. Remember at 1 Corinthians 13, whenever Paul talks about the attributes of love, one of them is is that love is not self-serving. It's not self-seeking. In other words, it it puts the other person ahead of yourself. And so maybe you're thinking, my goodness, I don't even know what serve my spouse. What do they even mean? Ask them. I bet you your spouse will give you a clue or two or 10. <laughs> They've got ideas, I promise you that. Um, if you're unemployed or maybe you're looking for a promotion and things have been hard right now, let me just tell you this, is that uh, all employers will agree with this, is that most applicants come in like this. Here I am, yeah. You ready for your business to be taken to the next level? That's why you need me. They come in self-assured, self-promoting, entitled, but very few come in like this. Here I am. I'm humble, I'm hungry, I'm ready to hustle. Where do you need me? I'm coming in open minded. When that is the attitude, employers are like, when can you start? Whoever humbles themselves, God will exalt. Whoever exalts themselves, God will humble. Serving has no jurisdiction. If you do it here, you'll do it there and there and there because it's a mentality that you take with you everywhere you go. Serving is not limited to one environment. That being said, my encouragement to all of us is to ask ourselves, where do I consistently serve that will anchor me to that heart of God to serve other people? Here's some good news. There is such a place where you can consistently serve. Here we are. And on your bulletin, on the bottom left corner, there is a barcode you could scan, boop, real easy. It would be a volunteer interest form. There's no pressure here. This is not a timeshare sales experience. I'm not telling the ushers to lock the doors and keep you in until you sign up. Because if it's forced, it's false. I want you to hear the Holy Spirit and respond to him. But I will tell you this, we are a body of, of, of people made up of people. We are staff-directed, volunteer-driven. There's a place for you. You have gifts that we need in the mix. I promise you that, and it's so inspiring. The hundreds of people that serve every single weekend. My goodness, I rolled up here Saturday morning to work on my message a little bit, and it was 6 a.m. And there were dozens of people in the parking lot, smiling, high-fiving, setting up tents to distribute food. I I was so inspired, it was amazing. Those of you that hold babies, you hold open doors, you pass out uh, pamphlets for all of us to take notes, and you park cars. That's how I do it. I mean, you have people in production, but the guys on the camera, come on camera guys, where are you, right here, look right there. Whoa, whoa, hey, look at that. Amazing work, amazing work. You got people that play instrument. I mean, there's a place for everybody. You have volunteers at DTM to help people get connected and you have people lead table groups at Courageous Motherhood and, and Bible studies. There is a place for you if you will make a place for yourself. Just scan that barcode. Last thought here, I'm done, last thought. Here we go. And one day, Jesus is gonna come in all of his glory. And he's going to separate us into two different groups. The sheep will be on his right. The goats will be on his left. And those on the left, he'll send them away because they rejected Jesus. And they chose to live a life of pride and self-indulgence. To those on his right, the sheep, who have chosen to trust Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and offer their life as a sacrifice for him. Listen to what Jesus is going to say to us. Come. You who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous are gonna say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When were you thirsty and we gave you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger, and invite you in and naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? What are you talking about? And the King Jesus will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers or sisters of mine, you did it for me. Lord, I'm so grateful that you did it for us, that you stepped down from heaven and offered your entire life as a sacrifice for us so that we could call you Lord and Father and Savior. And you have called us, you have commissioned us to follow in your steps. The servant is not greater than his master. So Lord, Master Jesus, if you served, who are we to refuse to do the same? Let us live our lives with a servant-oriented mindset so the whole world may know who we serve and that we may make a difference and an impact in this world that desperately needs you we are your proxies we are carriers of the holy spirit and so let us carry that out through our acts of service in jesus name amen thank you so much for tuning in today if you have any questions or prayer requests please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week we look forward to seeing you next week